Turn with me into your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And today we'll spend some time in verse 15 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll spend some time in verse 15 to 17, but I'll read um, all the way from verse 12 and end at 20 so that we get a picture of the context. Hear the word of God as it comes to you. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And our text for this morning, pay attention. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Other versions say chief. But I receive mercy. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those, to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the God, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting the some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let us pray. Our dear God and Father in heaven, we come before you once again as those who are in need of food, spiritual food from heaven. And would you speak to us in accents so clear this morning, such that by the end of this service, it would be irrefutable, undoubtable that a holy God has spoken to us. Would you help us not to be distracted even by the good things, O oh God, but help us to be focused on the word such that we may be changed from the inside out because these are matters of eternal life. They're matters of life and death. We take them with the seriousness they deserve. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is a foreigner, of the riches of mercy, would you attend to them, arrest their conscience, arrest their souls, be gracious to them. Lord, we pray for Christians in this place that you would sanctify them, grow them, May we all see a brighter light 
of the gospel, shedding of the light, such that we would grow, honor God, glorify God, and accomplish His purposes. You pray, I pray, Lord, that you would be with me, that you would give me strength, for I am about a weak man who is prone to err and to deviate from the, from, from the scriptures left to myself. Would you guide me by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so much confusion in the world today about Jesus. Why did he come? Who is he? What was the reason he came? And a quick glance at the tabloids or social media will result in you seeing that there's so much confusion on account of the personal work of Christ. There's so much ridicule of the second person of the Trinity. There's so much mockery. There's so much disdain, hatred. Mankind does not know what to do with the king of kings. Mankind does not know what to do with the king of the Jews. Mankind does not know what to do with the Lord of lords. That's why the disciples even said, Who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Mark 4.41 Who is this man that forgives sins? That even a demon infested man would run to him and bow down to him and say, Oh, son of the most high God, what have you to do with me? And I want to tell you now, even as you're seated there, that Jesus demands a response. His personal work demands a response from you. You either draw near, you either come to him by faith, or you sneer and hate him and stay in your corner. But you cannot ignore him. And this is Paul's point. Paul is addressing the whole world. Picture him on a podium. And picture him being, uh, people being able to see him on the highest of the highest mountains, as it were. And he gives an address and says, this saying is trustworthy. This is Jesus' work. He came to save and redeem sinners. He saves people who are in darkness. He saves people who are not even looking for him. And it is demonstrated by Paul's firstly emphatic statement in verse 15. And in verse 16 we see the example of mercy. And thirdly we see in verse 17 the extolling of God. First of all we see the emphatic statement. Read the word of God with me if you will from verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. If the weather report was to say there's an incoming storm, you would prepare because you believe what they say. Or if you're, be to, if you're to be told that Harare is a very dangerous place, 
you would gather enough artillery or equipment whether cctv cameras or whatever it is to make sure that you're protected in some way the apostle paul makes a statement that is more trustworthy than any of the examples i've given he's got full knowledge of the lord jesus christ as one who met him on the road to damascus he says that the same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that is an emphatic statement it's irrefutable you cannot refuse it it's unquestionable you cannot counter argue it it's historical there are eyewitnesses to back it it's factual there are written accounts to solidify it it's experiential those who've experienced the saving grace of christ witness about it and dear friends you can trust the bible you can trust the same you can trust what the bible says about christ coming to the world because it is true in fact there's nothing more truer than this in the whole universe the apostle paul is not suggesting he's not saying this is up for debate he's saying that this is trustworthy lay hold of it it also deserves full acceptance hold on to it savor it enjoy it do you know that as a christian you can enjoy christ jesus he's enjoyable when we really surrender ourselves to his lordship now the phrase that the apostle paul uses that this saying is trustworthy is unique only to the pastoral epistles appearing five times and there is a, a a key emphasis that as paul was writing to churches he wanted the churches to remain firm and that's why he wrote this phrase you can find it in chapter 3 verse 1 chapter 4 verse 9 of this uh, book of first timothy and also second timothy 2:11 and titus 3:8 these are all pastoral epistles where paul is emphasizing that this emphatic statement that this the trust the, the, the saying is trustworthy and worthy or deserves full acceptance it's it's also interesting to note that the early church had already begun to embrace these key elements of sound doctrine and the apostle paul was concerned that lest false teachers come in because false teachers are going to come in lest they come in you must know the foundation of christianity and the foundation of christianity is jesus christ which is why when you read this epistle you see that right at the beginning of the epistle the apostle paul sets a foundation and the foundation is the gospel of the lord jesus christ without the gospel no church can stand all these churches that do not preach the gospel are all but a skeleton a skeletal structure it's a skeleton it's dead they 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 have an appearance of being alive but they are dead and the apostle paul says if a church is to stand 
If a Christian is to stand, there must be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation. And Paul wants these Christians to believe this statement because it is written with apostolic authority. That's why it's trustworthy. It's written by a man who met Christ, Jesus. And that is why it should be accepted and embraced. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus, who was led and inspired by the Spirit of God. So the Apostle Paul is not just a, a, a simple man. We say, oh, well, I, I don't believe in what Paul says. I only believe what Jesus says. That's an error. The Apostle Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. He was called by Christ Jesus. And he penned almost the whole of the New Testament. And that's why the statement, the saying, is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. But then again, in this emphatic statement, we see that the Apostle Paul is almost reminding Timothy in Ephesus. He's, he, he, he's using by way of reminder because you have a tendency to forget the gospel so it is here being presented again. I'm presenting it to you once again. The same is trustful and deserving of full acceptance. Now friends, Christians forget the gospel. We have spiritual amnesia because we are sinners. And that is why Martin Luther said, I need the gospel every day because I forget it every day. And that is why he said, he said he preaches justification by faith to his congregants because they forget it every week. He preaches it every week. He makes sure that the gospel is the one that is the foundation and is leading their lives and sort of encompasses them such that even when you would prick them, they would ooze the gospel as it were. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Je Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now let's break down some of the key elements of this emphatic statement, which really is the gospel. The Apostle Paul is presenting the gospel as it is. If you, brethren, want the gospel in the New Testament... This is one of the key texts that presents the gospel in capsule form. Look at how he puts it. First of all, he looks at the man. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus, the pre-existing Christ. And Paul uses this phrase 25 times because you see the wordplay. Sometimes he says Jesus Christ. He uses that six times. But now he's saying Christ Jesus, which emphasizes the word Christos in the Greek, which means the anointed one. Christ. 
the Messiah, the promised Messiah from the line of David, the promised Messiah from Genesis, the seed of the woman who would crush the seed of the serpent. This was him. This is him here. And that is why Paul is saying to, to the keen hearer, the keen reader of the scriptures in those days, they would understand that this was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who deserves our utmost allegiance and worship. Christ Jesus, the person, came into the world. There's another element of the gospel. The incarnation. The incarnation, the virgin birth of Christ. When Christ took upon human flesh, he took upon a human body. And the word, the world refers to the world of humanity. Blind, lost, and condemned to hell because of its hostility to God. And really, Paul in his statement highlights the fact that Jesus in his first advent came into the world. So when Jesus came the first time, Dear friends, he did not come to condemn. Where is that in the scriptures? Turn to John 3.17, your favorite text. John 3.17, turn there now. Your favorite text is 16, but there's 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the first advent... The first entrance of Christ into the world. Of course, Christ was pre-existing. He has always been existing in eternity past with the, with the Father and the Spirit. That is undebatable and undeniable in the scriptures. But now we see that he comes into the world to save the world. And that's, the, that's an element of the gospel. It is a core element. If you miss the virgin birth, if you miss the incarnation, you rob people of the gospel. You rob people of essential truth that your savior actually was not born by ordinary generation. That your savior was actually not born through, uh, passed through the seed of a man, but he was conceived by the spirit and born of a virgin. And that makes Jesus unique. And that makes Jesus God. What is another key element of the gospel from this emphatic statement? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save. How does he save them? The death and resurrection. How does he save sinners? Death and resurrection. He died for them and he rose again for their justification. It, as if the death was not enough, he rose from the dead to showcase his glory, to showcase that he was able to save and not only save but to keep and to do something which no human being could do which was to lay down his life 
for sinners and raise himself up again by the power of the Spirit from the dead. And this sets Christianity apart from all the false religions because your ancestors did not die for you. They're dead. Your, your, your people that you venerate and say, oh, you know, we are the Sivandas or we are this. Uh, these, this is our totem. This is, this is our, our heritage. But if you look closely, if you, if you examine these things, you see that even those fall short. You look at Muhammad, the prophet of uh, Islam. He died. He died and never rose again. Jesus is the only one. Whatever it is you may believe, even in yourself, you will one day die and will not resurrect yourself. <laughs> you need to be resurrected by Christ, by God. To save sinners, you and I, you and I. And incidentally, if you read the text, what the Apostle Paul is actually saying is that we must believe this, we must lay hold of it, and we must, as it were, as we are living out the Christian life and preaching the gospel, act as if we are the only people to have ever lived, as if Jesus died for you alone. He came to save sinners. That, that, that is what the gospel is all about. You need to behold it. You need to personalize it. It is not like a communal thing. Like where you just say, well, you know, I'm saved because of my grandparents. My grandparents, my grandfather was a minister of the gospel, so I'm saved. There is no salvation there. My parents are Roman Catholics. Oh, my, 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 my whole heritage is Roman Catholic. So we got the gospel passed down to us. <laughs> no. You need to personalize the gospel. If the word of God is read and preached this way, you need to interact and confront the word and say, is this true of me? Am I the sinner that the Apostle Paul is talking about? As if to add and expound on that, the verse ends this way. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, comma, of whom I am the foremost. Now, when Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, because this is what he's really doing, he's not showing a false humility. He's not wanting praise from people. Oh, no, 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 stop it, Paul. <laughs> stop it, Paul. You're not the chief of sinners. You're good. No, no, that's, what, that's not what he's saying. Paul does not want flattery. He does want people to praise him. But he's truly being real as he's also apprehending himself. Listen to modern day commentator John MacArthur. He says, many in our day would hasten to correct Paul's self-image and restore his self-esteem. 
But that was a healthy self-view for Paul because it was accurate. It's hard to imagine anyone worse than a blasphemer of God and a persecutor of the church. Such a view of himself also served to keep Paul humble and grateful. Dear friends, the Christian life is humbling in that even as you grow closer to God, because Paul here was in his later stages of life, in fact, it is in the second letter when he was ready to be beheaded, to die in Rome. So he was almost finishing his course. He was an older Christian. When he was closer to God, the more he saw his sin. And the more closer he got to God, sometimes you'll be reminded that dear Paul, you who preach the gospel now, you who have written so many epistles, you are the chief of sinners because you persecuted the church of God. You can think of other things. You can think of homosexuality. Of course, it's an affront to God. But Paul directly challenged the God of heaven. How arrogant is that? How deep is that? Someone who wanted to arrest Christians. Imagine someone coming in here and wanting to arrest all of you and saying, this is wrong. I want to teach you the way of Judaism. You need to be circumcised. You need to be law-abiding. You need to observe the laws and the regulations of the Old Testament. And this is what Paul was saying. He was going to Damascus, as the Bible says, that he might bring them bound. <laughs> Man, that is, that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. That's, that's why he calls himself the chief of sinners. And in a way, whether you are morally upright, or whether you grew up as a good child in quotations, or whether you grew up as someone who lived a very debaucherous life, you can see yourself. It's almost like you're seeing yourself in the texts. And you could say with Paul, I am the foremost. Jesus Christ. If, if salvation has really taken root in your life, you are able to say with Apostle Paul, I am the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. Even in salvation. Even when you are serving the Lord and people are saying, wow, this guy is producing fruit. Oh, by the hundred folds. Oh, the sister can sing. But when you know in your heart of hearts, when you get home alone, oh, woe is unto me. For I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips. You know, this is something that is within your soul. You know that this reality keeps you humble because there's a danger in that even as you see growth in Christ you begin to be prideful and think that you have made it 
The Apostle Paul, many people would think, like all these people call themselves God's generals. You see them walking on ice, you know, riding on phantoms. You will never hear one of them saying, I am a sinner. I lust. I'm wretched. But when you read the tabloids, you see a different story. Rape, pregnancies, fraud, stealing, lying, fake prophecies, fake lives. Because they could not say with the Apostle Paul, I am the foremost. I am. Jesus came to save me. I am the foremost. We've looked at the emphatic statement. Let us look at the example of mercy. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It is interesting to note how this is laid out. The Apostle Paul received mercy because of his past as a blasphemer, as a persecutor of the church and a hater of God. He received mercy in Jesus Christ. And also, secondly, note well that this mercy is foreign to him. He did not claim mercy. He did not manufacture mercy. He received mercy. And this follows well with what he writes in Ephesians chapter 2. If you read with me from verse 4 to 5, listen to the word of God. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And dear friends, salvation is initiated and applied by God. Salvation is God's idea. It is begun by God, is followed through by God, and it is upheld by God. Of course, in what is called progressive sanctification, where someone becomes a believer and is now being grown in the Lord progressively the sinner is not passive but active you don't just sit there and say I'm saved I'll sit on top of a rock and I'll be alright no you are saved now as a result of being saved do <laughs> that's what the Bible emphasizes the sinner is not passive but active but at salvation the sinner is given He's gifted. And even the ability to receive this mercy is a gift from God. Salvation by grace alone. Through faith alone. The grace is God's gift. It's God's grace. Through faith. The faith is God's gift. God gives you the ability to exercise faith in Him. That's what the reformers emphasize. That's why they said salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. 
by the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. And Paul is teaching the sovereignty of God in salvation. So, but I want you to see a, a picture here. And I don't want you to lose me. That verse 16 is sandwiched by verse 15 and also 16b. So, Paul says, For I received mercy for this reason. What is the reason that Paul received mercy? Well, it's twofold. The first reason is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is from verse 15. But from verse 16, we see that Paul makes it clear that Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So it's twofold. For the glory of God in Christ Jesus to save sinners. Secondly, it is also for Christ to display his patience to all. That the Lord Jesus Christ is patient even to people like Paul who are blasphemers. And if you are here and you're sitting today and you're saying, Well, pastor, I'm unsavable. You need to read what the scriptures are saying. Oh, well, I've done worse things than Paul. Have you persecuted the church? Did you arrest any Christians? Have you overseen the murder of the first deacon and instigated the murder of the first deacon? What have you done that makes you think in your hearts of hearts that you cannot be saved or you, God cannot extend, extend his mercy to you in Christ Jesus. What have you done? And reading this really opens our eyes. It opens our hearts to actually meditate on this scripture. And see that Jesus can save anyone. Anyone. Doesn't matter what your background is, what your ethnic color is, doesn't matter where you are in your social status, whether you work as people who patch the roads or you work in the big banks, the mercy of Christ can be extended to you. Like Paul, who was an enemy of God who was against God, who fought God, who was against the work of God. But mercy came to him. It's interesting, even as I observe how God works throughout history, you see that the people that are saved are the most wretched. <laughs> Horrible, horrible people. 
not looking for God, self-righteous, you think you're good, you think you can help God, you think you can do without God, you insult God. God says, right, I'll humble you, I'll save you. And the pains of now becoming a Christian and seeing your evil and the temptations coming forth to you. The old temptations, the old life is beckoning. Come back, come back, come back. And you're saying, no, 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 I'm a new creation. Paul was meant to suffer for the glory of God. Oh, friend, this morning, why wouldn't you go to God like this, like Paul? Why wouldn't you run to Christ who is able to save you, even the chief of sinners? I, I don't know the state of your heart. I don't know the state of your soul. I don't even know what you did last night. But Christ knows. One brother says you can delete your search history from people, but you can't delete it from God. Shows the depths of where God is. He's all-seeing, all-knowing. Why don't you run to Him and throw yourself to Him and embrace His mercy? And if the Lord was patient with the Apostle Paul, why won't He be patient with you? Even if you think you are not savable. Because that's unbelief. That's rank unbelief. If you doubt that Christ cannot save you, it is, it's not, it is not only sin and rebellion. It's rank blasphemy. I'm, I'm unsavable, brother. Nah, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life. Because you have done those, you need mercy. Because you've acted this way, you need mercy. Because you live this way, you need mercy. Not to say, no, 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 the, the moment uh, uh, I'm caught in sin and I'm caught in a snare, I want to run away from God. That's what most Christians do. They want to seek other things apart from God. When you can go to God and seek mercy. You can't run away from God. You can't. You will be found out. If you think you're playing cat and mouse with God now, wait until judgment day when Jesus Christ returns with all his glory and he says, right, you had the chance to repent and you didn't. I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. You either bow now in submission or bow later in shame. What is the application? Even today, the doorway to Christ's mercy is open. Throw yourself to Him. Secondly, no matter what you have done, friend, Jesus' Jesus's perfect patience with you can be applied to you in salvation. And for the Christian, this is for the Christian, sanctification. Being freed from a particular sin or particular things or temptations you're dealing with. Christ can show you mercy in that particular sin.
Let me end this wonderful passage by showing the last point that because Jesus came to save sinners, the Apostle Paul now extols God. I'll explain what that word means. Verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Having digested all of this in, the Apostle Paul then worships. These things are too marvelous for him. The Apostle Paul becomes a, a songwriter. He becomes a psalmist, yet is a theologian. He cannot keep quiet. He cannot keep mum. He needs to praise his God for salvation. He cannot just uh, keep it to himself. And this is why it's important for Christians who have understood the gospel to, to not help but share the gospel with other people. Because you cannot keep these marvelous things to yourself. You cannot keep this marvelous uh, uh, salvation, this marvelous salvation to yourself. Why would you starve your ailing brother of truth? <laughs> Why would you starve your, your perishing auntie of truth? Why would you witness their perishing without telling them, listen, there is a savior. The way you're going is to hell. You need to come back. You need to, you, you need to step back. You need to, you need to make a U-turn in Christ. Why do we glory in just watching people going to hell? Why do we glory in not calling people out of sin? Why do we glory in not worshipping the triune God in spirit and in truth? Praising God in the midst of the congregation as the psalmist says. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you amongst the brethren. Do we get excited about salvation? When we think about salvation in our, in our own closets, do we, does something inside of us jump up like a little kid and giggle or get excitable by this? Or it's just like, well, saved by grace, I'm fine. Yeah, let me just go on with my life. Ah, work anyway. Let me shut the door. I'm going to work, my boss is a problem. Yeah, going about the motions. Instead of saying, listen, whatever happens to me today, whatever happens, whatever danger lurks around the corner, to the king of ages, immortal. That's where we get the hymn, immortal, invisible, God only wise. This is where we get it, by the way. Enlightened, accessible, hid from our eyes. He, when he sees salvation, he says, well, this is too much for me. I must praise and worship God. How does he do it? He extols God. Now, there's a difference between exalting God and exhortation. So I'll explain the three terms. 
Exalting God is lifting God up. Extolling God is worshipping God enthusiastically. Exhorting is encouraging one another. Admonition. Three different words. So here he is extolling. He is worshipping enthusiastically. He is saying, The God of all ages. I can't do anything. And friends, this is why even when you're discouraged, come to church. Salvation is not about you. It's about God. In fact, when you are discouraged, this is the place to be. The most. I, I just can't wait to be amongst the brothers and sisters. If I could, I could crawl to church. Just like the psalmist who wanted, who parched and thirsted for Zion. They went to the temple once annually. <laughs> and he was parched. He said, I just want to go and worship God. I'm thirsty. The world has sapped me of all my energies. But I cannot find help or hope in the Lord, in the world. I find it in God. Dear friends, does this describe you? When you sing in the congregation, are you being honest with God and yourself as you sing? What about your daily life? Are you extolling God for salvation? Do you meditate upon salvation, upon the glories of Christ, upon the gospel? Is that the dominating factor or the pushing factor for your life? Or your mind is occupied about other things and God is just a purse that you put on your arm or a jacket that you put on and you put off when you're tired. Is, 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 is God your life? This was, this was Paul. Paul was a slave. That's what it means to be a slave of Christ. <laughs> a slave is one who has been bought at a price and now must submit. Your life must be all about God if you say you're a Christian. But if your life is all about all, well, pomp, affluence. I just want to make it in life. I want to build an estate. Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for you. I fear for you. Listen to John Kelvin as I close. He says, the Apostle Paul calls him the king eternal not liable to any change invisible because he dwells in light that is inaccessible and lastly the only wise because he renders foolish and condemns as vanity all the wisdom of man the whole agrees with that conclusion at which he arrives all oh, the depths the depth of the riches both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how incomprehensible 
are his designs how unsearchable are his ways romans 11 verse verse 33 dear friends jonathan edwards who was a puritan records this in this text in fact let me just give a small background before he was saved jonathan edwards had a very questioning mind but when god saved him from sin his, 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 his mind was captivated by God and he would even say that he saw God in everything. The, the, the creation, the people, the sounds, the sights. But he records this, in the, this, this text in the account of his con- conversion. As he reads these words, he had a sense of the glory of the divine being and prayed to God that I might enjoy him. And this was Paul, a prisoner of Christ, in prison, telling of salvation. And saying, this God I want to enjoy until I die. Would you make it your resolve this morning? Take a stock of your life. Ask yourself, am I playing Christ? Am I really a worshipper of God? If not, the doors of mercy are wide open for you this morning in Christ. If you've been living in sin and you're a Christian, the doors, it's the same door, the same door that you entered in salvation is the same door that you go back through when you sin. You receive mercy in Christ. Friends, I want to praise God daily like this and the starting point and the ending point is the gospel. Or that God will do a work in our day. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. How gracious God